Ion 2020, episode 169. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020. That's right, coming to you again. Monday through Friday, I do this show every single day to make sure that you guys are aware of all the things that are going on in the 2020 election. So, appreciate you coming out and joining me today for another episode of Ion 2020. Here is where I give you, uh, I, I constantly am coming out with libertarian ideas and libertarian messaging on the 2020 election. So, if it's your first time listening and uh, you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the show and uh, you'll hear more libertarian messaging on the 2020 elections because that's what this show is all about. A libertarian spin on the 2020 elections. Now, I cover the news, the related events, all the policies, all the, you know, the, the, the campaigns and all of the different candidates that are going on. I try to cover not only Democrats, because, I mean, they're the ones that are kind of making all the headlines lately, as you guys know. But I also cover the Republicans. I cover, um, actually, you know, there's been one or two people that have decided to run against Donald Trump. So I am covering more than just Donald Trump as a Republican. And then I'm covering the libertarian candidates and also as we start hearing more about third-party runs and stuff, I'll start covering those as well because I think it's important that we know a different side, you know, a different opinion and different sides from this from the political debate. And everyone has a different spin that they take on their own politics. And I come to it, come at it from a libertarian perspective. So thank you for joining me and uh, keep on coming back every day, Monday through Friday. I'll be putting out the news for you as much as I possibly can. So uh, today, what I'm going to be talking about a little bit is uh, the Joe Biden is starting to sink like a little bit of a, I think he has a few leaks in his ship, if you know what I mean. He is starting to sink in those polls, and I'm starting to notice that I actually started noticing it in the um, the election betting odds sites. A couple, I think it was last week or the week before that, I had mentioned it that um, Elizabeth Warren had jumped up to like 26, 27% in the election betting odds, and Joe Biden was losing against her by just a little bit, and uh, as of today... It is just insane. Joe Biden is a sinking ship, man. He has 23%, 23 23.8% chance of becoming the Democratic primary nominee, whereas you have Elizabeth Warren, who is at 31.3% chance of becoming the nominee. And what's happening is that Joe Biden had a little bit of a gaffe. He kind of made it sound like uh, that um, Robert... Kennedy, I guess, got assassinated in the 1970s or something like that, when it was directly like 1968, and it's just a matter of him seeming like he might be, I don't know, going senile or something like that. Maybe he has a little bit of forgetfulness going on, and just, you know, it's showing that it's showing his age, and people may not like that. I don't know. I guess Elizabeth Warren is a little bit, uh, just a little bit younger than him. Not, I mean, he's not much older than her, but she is seeming like she has a lot of the answers and stuff, and that might be why it's starting to look like she can be the person in the election betting odds site. Uh, She's going to be the one that would be the nominee. Now, she is 
And a head-to-head, you know, U.S. presidency 2020, you got Elizabeth Warren 16.1% chance against Donald Trump. Donald Trump's at 44.6% chance. But I think if you took all the all the odds of all of the candidates, you probably have them head-to-head as well against Donald Trump. It was just, they don't ever do like the single matchups between Warren or Trump uh, because obviously there hasn't been a nominee yet. But 31% chance that they say on the election, election betting odds site that uh, Warren's going to be the nominee for the Democratic Party. And I was looking over real cl- realclearpolitics.com today, and actually, there was a poll that came out on Monday that's showing Joe Biden losing against other people in the in the race. So you have, and it's absolutely insane, right, guys? Because Joe Biden has been pulling 35, 32, 33%, or, you know, 33 points, and that he's been beating everybody by 14, 15 points, and so forth. And a few of them came out with him at, like, 25 25 points and you got Sanders at 18 and Warren and whatever I mean Warren and Sanders been kind of running neck and neck but now you got 19% of the people that are saying that they want that they will vote for Joe Biden in this mammoth poll so the poll is actually um came out and it was done from 816 to 820 and let me go ahead and click on that really fast but it's a mammoth dot edu poll and what it has is the Democ- 2020 democratic support by 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 the primaries i guess and you got elizabeth warren at 20 percent joe biden at 19 percent and then you have um bernie sanders at 20 percent so bernie sanders both bernie sanders and elizabeth warren are beating joe biden in this poll now this is an outlier though so i don't, I don't know how much credence you can give to it but I mean, it, it is what it is, and it just shows that Joe Biden is starting to become a sinking ship. Now, is that going to affect him down the road? I don't know, but his age is showing, and that's really what's kind of making it fall apart for him, I guess. Uh, and when you look at the poll, so it's also Harris has 8%, Buttigieg has 4%, O'Rourke has 2%, Booker has 4%, Yang has 3%, Castro has 2%. Now, those are the people that may have made it into the next debate as well the next debates are going to be in the middle of september september 12th i believe and you're going to be looking at 10 people that have made it into the debate so far but it really comes down to the fact that you know joe biden needs to have a really good showing in the next debates or else he's going to start falling apart i was listening to a few different shows on this recently and they were saying that joe biden's kind of like the default the default candidate for everybody when they start getting interested in the elections and they're kind of just waiting around for somebody to inspire them and maybe Warren starting to inspire people. Sanders has been pretty standard in his, you know, he, he's pretty much been consistently 20% for a while. He goes down to 12%, 15% in some of these polls, but he's pretty much, you know, he has his people there for him. They love him. They're, you know, the Bernie bros and all that stuff. And they're going to continue to vote for him. I don't know that he's getting a lot of traction, but Elizabeth Warren seems like she's getting most of the traction lately, whereas Joe Biden is not. He's kind of like, like I said, the default candidate that people, when they start to get interested in the debates and when they start getting interested in the this primary, they just say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Biden because he's the safe choice. 
I think the argument is being made by a lot of these candidates that a safe choice is not the best choice. We need somebody that's going to be progressive, somebody that's going to change things in Washington, blah, blah, blah. And they're saying because this is Donald Trump is a symptom of the problem rather than just the problem itself. Whereas Joe Biden makes the point that he is the pro that that um, that Donald Trump is the problem. But no, uh, everyone else says that he's just a symptom of the problem. And what we need to do is fix Washington and I can do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's what a lot of these people are trying to make the case. Uh, Joe Biden has to really do good at the next debate in order to continue to move forward or else they're going to end up having somebody that's kind of a far left candidate like Warren or Sanders that's going to get the nomination. We shall see. I still think, though, I do, I still think that Pete Buttigieg has a really good shot at this thing. I've been saying that for a while. I just think when you listen to him talk, he's not out of it at all. He has his head in the game. He... They did challenge him on one of the morning on one of the morning shows on Sunday and said, "Are you just a candidate that's running for the next election, but not for this one?" He says, "No, I'm a serious candidate and everything." I do think that Pete Buttigieg is that sleeper, though. He kind of is—he's a young guy. He might even go for like the end up getting like the vice presidential nomination or something like that by one of these people. But he seems like a voice of reason. They they do group group him in, even though he is a lefty, as as he is a very far left, you know, progressive candidate. He seems like the voice of reason, so they kind of lump lump him into the middle, closer to Joe Biden than like a Bernie Sanders, even though he was a Bernie, Bernie Sanders supporter in 2016, and he's also somebody who um, has very progressive views. He also is raising a hell of a lot of money, and that says a lot about the guy who's a mayor from South Bend, Indiana, and I think that there's something to say about that, and that's why I still think that he's a sleeper, because if, let's say this, for example... Joe Biden finally is like, yeah, man, I have Alzheimer's, blah, 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 let me out of this thing. And uh, where, is, where is his vote going to go to? They want a safe choice, right? The people that are the people that are looking at Joe Biden. So let's say 22%, 23% are looking at Joe Biden. Let's say this is an outlier. This particular poll, the Mammoth poll, is an outlier, right? And you're looking at Joe Biden, and he has 19% in this poll. But let's say, on average, he's getting 22 23%. Where are they going to go? Where would those people go if Joe Biden just drops out of the race because he's just, you know, not fresh, he's not feeling good, he just, he, you know, just moves on? Some might go to Warren, some might go to Sanders, but I think the majority of those people are going to go to somebody that's a little bit more of a safe choice, somebody that's safe. So, who's safe? Is Amy Klobuchar safe? Well, she's pulling very low, she's pulling at 1%. Is Williamson safe, Marianne Williamson? Absolutely not, she's... You know, the crazy lady that has some pretty good ideas in their minds, but um, not a serious candidate. Is Tom Steyer a safe choice? That actually might be a place where those people go. Tom Steyer, he's the billionaire that put $100 million of his own money into the campaign. In this particular Monmouth Monmouth poll, uh, he gets 0%, though. So that's pretty insane that he's putting that much money into it, and he's not going anywhere. Is he going to get into the debates? Probably not. He does have the money. He does have the individual contributors, 130,000 of them. But he's still pulling very low. Although he has gotten two polls above 2%, and those are qualifying polls. So we'll see how that goes. Is Tulsi Gabbard the safe choice, though? No, they're not. Her, Biden's not going to, or Tulsi Gabbard is not going to collect Biden's vote. Is Julian Castro a safe choice? Mm, not really. No, he's not the one that's going to beat Donald Trump either. Is Andrew Yang the safe choice? Is he? No, he's a little bit of an outlier, right? He's somebody that has a little bit different views. Um, 
he's trying Andrew Yang is the young guy trying to get the libertarian vote he's trying to get different people to come on board with him uh, from different factions among the, you know the young millennials and stuff he has a millennial vote I don't think that he's going to have a lot of Joe Biden's votes Cory Booker might actually pick up a few of the Biden people because Cory Booker he does seem like somebody that can stick it to Donald Trump work hard fight against Donald Trump we'll see if, if they get some of his Beto O'Rourke will not get any of Joe Biden's people Beto O'Rourke is like far left progressive and just wants to um has a lot of very progressive views and also he is just trying to get elected I mean you can tell he just wants somebody to somebody to vote for him that's all and then you got Pete Buttigieg and that's the Pete Buttigieg and um Kamala Harris I bet you between the two of them they would get a lot of the Biden vote and I think Pete Buttigieg would get quite a bit of that. But Kamala Harris might as well. I don't know. I've been saying this for a while, though. If you look at a lot of those candidates, I don't think there's a lot of excitement among a lot of these people. Tom Steyer, Williamson, Klobuchar, Gabbard, Castro, Yang. Yang has a lot of, a lot of excitement around him. Cory Booker. I mean, the, the, I just don't see people that are very excited about any of these candidates except for the Bernie Sanders people seem very excited about their candidate. Elizabeth Warren... I don't know. She puts me to sleep when I listen to her. And I'm not a Democrat. You guys know that. I'm a libertarian. So it's hard for me to listen to any of those people anyway. I just don't see Elizabeth Warren getting the crowd excited. I don't see Elizabeth Warren being a charismatic character by any means. And neither would Joe Biden. I think that the Democrats are going to have to get somebody else into the race that would get people excited about that. Because it's just... I don't know. I just... I don't see what's going to... Where they're going to lead where these people are going to, you know, get people excited about their candidacy. Amy Klobuchar, she, uh, she, she probably is the most center of all of these candidates besides Joe Biden. And I was listening to her talk on one of the Sunday morning shows, actually. And she seems probably the most reasonable of all of them. She actually brought up the national debt and saying that we need to take a look at spending and the national debt and all that on one of the Sunday shows, which I about... I about flipped out when I heard that. I mean, I was just like, holy cow, did a Democrat actually talk about the national debt? But that's what she was. So she might seem like the most reasonable of all these candidates, to be honest with you guys. Which, um, But she's not getting any traction whatsoever. And she says she's not out, but we'll see. Uh, she's actually going to be in the debates, though. She has 2% on several polls, so she will be in the debates. So she'll have her chance to shine, especially if there's two nights of debates i think they're saying if there's more than 10 candidates if there's like 11 or 12 candidates they will break it up between two nights and then you'll have you know five or six on each side and that will actually be good for these candidates to have lots of speaking time during these debates so we'll see if that helps her out or not but she's not a very exciting person she's not somebody that has charisma the most charismatic person on that stage is cory booker and pete Buttigieg. But Cory Booker more so than Pete Buttigieg, I think. Even though Pete Buttigieg kind of uses those, I, I said it before, he kind of used like those hypnotizing terms like listen closely and, you know, things like that. I mean, there's like these hypnotizing terms that people use and he speaks very well about in that way and he like has a whole process that he uses in order to get his message across and it sounds really good when he talks. But, um, and he has some charisma as well, but I think Cory Booker, watching all these people on stage, Cory Booker has the most charisma of all of them. Um, so we'll see how that goes, guys. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see as we get closer. I'm going to start doing some of these 
uh, like more focused on the candidates again, each individual candidate and their policies over the next couple of weeks before this debate happens on, on September 12th. Uh, so you guys will have a little bit more of an idea of what these candidates believe in, what their views are, and maybe how they differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack, because that's really what it comes down to, is who can differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack, right? And we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Um, I'd like to go and move on to some other topics, though, just because I don't want to cover just this stu- this Democratic, you know, the campaigns and the... Um, the different polls and stuff like that for the entire show. So let me go ahead and move on so that I don't bore you guys to death because that stuff can be boring. I just like to do some commentary on that every once in a while just so that you guys will know what's going on with the polls because the polls, even though they're not really realistic right now anyway, and you got, I mean, everything's going to change between now and January and February when they start doing these, um, the Iowa straw polls and the different, you know, different things that they're going on. And then once you get to New Hampshire with their primary and stuff, um, things are going to change between now and then big time, especially with the fact that half these people are not even going to be in the debates in the first place. But I just like to update you guys to see, just so you know what's going on with those. But there is a lot of news going on with this G7 summit that happened. And, you know, now, now it's over with, and there was, there was not a lot of, action that really happened from it so uh there's not some anything that i'm going to cover on that particular issue there but let me go ahead and hop on to a different topic though and and uh, let you guys know what i think about some other stuff that's going on in the elections so considering the fact that i scour the news constantly for new news to cover on these elections i just i i it's been hard to find new news that's really going on right now because everything has really been focused on the g7 summit and everything but i wanted to bring you guys a uh, a quick um a quick a quick synopsis i guess of what i was thinking about when i started looking at this article that i saw on mises.org it says the hidden cost behind every government program and i'm not going to read it word for word or anything like that and i'll just i'm not even really going to highlight the entire or this particular article i just kind of wanted to let you guys know what i thought about that so this is by uh god help me uh to try to pronounce this guy's name but it was written 824 2019 gore McTrain, I think is what it is, how you pronounce it, M-K-R-T-C-H-I-A-N, holy cow, how on earth would you pronounce that, but the article is just called The Hidden Cost Behind Every Government Program, and it gets got me thinking to myself that there is a hidden cost behind every program that all of these Democrats and all the Republicans and all of the, any candidate that's going to try to start a new government program, like when you start Medicare, when you start Social Security, when you start uh, any you know, military spending that's going on, when you start a new war, when you decide that you want to start some kind of Medicare Part A, where you're going to start, you know, providing medicine to senior citizens through the state. Uh, If you're going to build a road, if you're going to build a school, if you're going to build anything that's going to be government funding, there is a hidden cost behind every one of those programs. And when these candidates, they start promising all that stuff, when they start promising everything, you got to realize something that there's what's called, and this guy talks about it in this article there's opportunity costs involved in all that stuff and opportunity cost um, is the idea that the benefits that you get from spending money on let's say a school right there's an opportunity cost on the idea that maybe it wasn't the best spending that you could have had and it could have been spent somewhere else so if there's a million dollars being spent on a school well, 
what else could that million dollars been spent on that would have been better for that money to be spent on other than a school? Are you going to get the most value out of that school or can that million dollars be spent somewhere else, right? And that's the same thing with like Social Security. All of that money that's going into Social Security right now, if it was left in the economy, is there any opportunity cost associated with that that it could have been spent elsewhere somewhere somewhere better? Uh, all that money that's being spent in the military, a lot of people say that we should bring the troops home, that we should start spending it elsewhere and obviously that's one of the that's probably one of the easiest ones to answer right that yes there is opportunity cost because all that money is leaving the country it's going into military spending and so forth and there's obvious opportunity costs involved in that where it could be spent somewhere else and a lot of the democratic candidates also talk about this if we just bring the troops home we stop spending trillions of dollars overseas we can probably spend that money elsewhere on roads and bridges and everything else and they're they're even alluding to opportunity costs in that way but what would that money be spent on if it was left in the private sector it would go into savings it would go into private investment it might go into building new buildings it might go into capital investment it might go into people buying shoes it might be going to people buying vacations who knows but there's no way to tell so and then there's also the idea behind that he talks about this as well the things that are seen versus the things that are unseen right um and the idea that you get from that is i don't know if you ever heard of the um I guess you call it the parable of the glassmaker, and what happens is that somebody smashes a window, and somebody comes up and says, well, it's a good thing that they smashed the window, because now the glassmaker has a job to go out and fix that window. But what you don't see behind that is, so let's say you're a, you're, you're a, a sandwich maker, and you, you have a sandwich shop, and someone comes and smashes your window, and you have to pay the glassmaker hundred dollars to fix that window everyone says well everyone's better off society is better off because the window is smashed and it gives the glassmaker a job but my hundred dollars goes to the glassmaker who now has a job but what you don't see is the fact that i might have used my hundred dollars to go buy myself a jacket i might have used that hundred dollars to go my, buy myself extra inventory so i could start a new sandwich shop i might have used my hundred dollars for everything else that's the things that are unseen in that particular scenario but all we see is the new job created by, for the glassmaker. But everyone's everyone's not better off. Actually, no one's better off except for the glassmaker. But in the other situation, I have my hundred dollars. Somebody else gets it spent on them as well, and that's the thing that's not seen. And we don't have a broken window. And a lot of the a lot of times you hear a politician they say, "Oh well, this hurricane's going to create many jobs over in Louisiana or in Florida. Lots of new jobs are going to be created." So. That mean that and under that type of scenario, we should probably just go and bomb ta- like evacuate everybody out of a town, go drop bombs on it, and then come back and build new new homes. Because then at least it creates jobs, right? Or we should, you know, there's lots of things that the government should do in that case in order to create jobs. Well, it's not about creating jobs; it's about the best allocation of that capital. So there are some. So this particular article, like I said, I didn't want to get in and read the entire thing. It's actually a new article on Mises.org, on Mises Wire, and it's just the hidden cost behind every government program. And I just wanted to bring that up, that yes, there are hidden costs big time among all the programs that these candidates are talking about, um, talking about starting. I mean, they want to get rid of, they want to get rid of Obamacare and start doing Medicare for all. They want to get rid of, they or they want to forgive all student debt they want to make college free tuition free they want to 
mandate the fact that you will get, I mean, employers will have to give like, you know, six months of family leave. There's all kinds of different things that they want to do, but there's a lot of opportunity costs involved in that. There's a lot of things that you'll see. Yeah, you'll see the good benefits of that, but the things that are unseen are all the money that's going to go that didn't go elsewhere and all the new businesses that wouldn't, weren't started. There's a lot of new technology that might not have been formed and so forth. And that's what we got to worry about, you know, the, the hidden cost behind every single government program that these people talk about. So keep that in mind when you're listening to these candidates, okay? That's what, that's the main point that I wanted to make about this is keep it in mind when you're listening to these candidates that, they're, that if you, they are promising one thing, that's money that is going to go to that particular item, which might sound good on paper, but then think of all the costs associated with that, the things that you won't see, or the opportunity costs that are lost on other stuff as well, because there are scarce resources. That's like the first, I think that's the first law they always talk about of economics is that resources are scarce. And the thing that helps to ration those resources, or there's different ways you can ration resources. You can uh, have the government come in and ration those resources by force, or you can set up some type of monetary system that'll make people self-ration those items. And uh, you have two choices. You could use force or you can have self-rationing. And the best way is through some type of monetary system that's going to create the self-rationing, right? Um, but those are the opportunity costs, things that are not seen. I think it's really important that we understand those things when we're listening to these candidates talk. Libertarians, they typically don't promise a bunch of stuff. So if you're a libertarian, you're listening to libertarian candidates, that's true. Uh, if you're listening to Donald Trump, he's going to promise things on one side and not promise things on the other. He's going to promise tax cuts, but then again, you consider the fact that with tax cuts without that same reduction in spending is going to cause the government to have to do one other thing, and that's borrow more money. So... That's the opportunity cost that you don't see. Yeah, you see the tax rate, you see the paycheck that's a little bit bigger for you. But then again, more of that money goes to national debt. So there's going to be a lot of things that the things that are seen versus the things that are not seen that we need to take into account when we're considering the policies that these candidates are talking about. Uh, to me, obviously, I wish in some way that no candidate will ever start you know, promising this and promising that and that we won't have to worry about the opportunity costs and the hidden costs behind all these government programs. But we do. They're there. What we need to do, and I say this almost every single show, so you guys probably know where I'm going already. We need to start changing the culture. We need to start changing the way that people want to interact with their government. We need to start getting people to realize that the government is not the solution to every single problem, that the culture needs to change, and we need to start telling people about liberty and about freedom and about self-discipline, about, you know, self-determination we there's lots of things that we could talk about we need to talk about non-aggression and dealing with people in a non-aggressive way and how the government is dealing with people in an aggressive way every single day when they pass a new law because it's always enforced at the point of a, at the at a gunpoint taxes they're enforced at gunpoint and that's a, an aggressive way to deal with people in society versus a different way is to have some type of free market enterprise, free market system where we're not dealing with people aggressively. Then there are ways to make that happen. So, uh, but our job is to just incrementally change people's views. That's the best way to do it. We're on the 99 yard line. We need to get to that. Ni- you know, we need to get one more yard away from the the opposition's end zone. We need to take every inch that we can get, and that's by changing people's minds. That's by 
incrementally figure out ways to pull apart government to change people's minds towards their own, you know, change people's minds towards liberty and towards freedom. And I think that that's the key, guys. I continue to push this idea is that it really comes down to changing the culture and changing the way that people think about their government, the expectations that they have of their government. Because every single day, new candidates come out talking about new policies, talking about a $16 trillion Green New Deal compromise that Bernie Sanders comes out with. Like Those are things that people say, oh yeah, maybe the government should do that. But no, the government should not do that stuff, guys. They absolutely should not do that. The government has no place in in most of the things that it does. And our government is overburdensome. Our government is a place where people try to get special favors and people go to that government to get special favors constantly. That's all they do every single day. That's why you have billions upon billions of dollars being spent in these lobbyists, you know, these lobbying offices on K Street is because there's money to get from that government. We need to start breaking down that government and start changing people's ideas. So when they hear a candidate with all these promises, they look up and say, yeah, right, I don't want it. I want to depend on myself, my family, my community for my life, not on some politician that's up there promising so they can pander to people to get reelected. Because that seems like, to me, that seems like all that they're trying to do. I uh, hear it all the time. I mean, even Elizabeth Warren on a tweet the other day when I was I was going through some tweets and she says I just wanted to stand in support with all the new college students that are going back to college and starting their first day of college just let you guys know that I'm with you and that I'm fighting to make sure that you guys will be debt free coming out of college and that we'll get tuition paid for for you guys and you'll have college tuition free and I wrote back I said yeah just just congratulate them and stop pandering because that's all she's doing. I always do the hashtag stop pandering because that's all she's doing, guys, is pandering to get votes. And all that is is there's going to be a, a, a cost associated with that. There's going to be a hidden cost if you did that. And that's going to be I, – I don't know exactly what the hidden cost would be if you gave away free education to every single person. But you're going to have people that are going to start going to college just for, you know – butterfly catching or something who knows i mean there's going to be the colleges are just going to figure out ways is what it'll come down to because they're already doing it now they're just trying to figure out ways to get more of that government money right by having all kinds of weird school classes about this odd subject and that odd subject just to get people to take it as an elective and it sounds cool you got students that are going to college for really just degrees that don't really matter things that you know how are you going to come out of college and have a job in in basket weaving or something like that you know like what are you going to do with that type of degree from a four-year university or the history of of ceramics and in ancient egypt like are you really going to use that degree in anything unless you have a phd no but you're going to subsidize that you're going to give kids free college for that there's a hidden cost involved in that. You're going to have all kinds of new programs that come up because all the colleges at that point are going to just try to get people into their schools so they can get more of that federal money. And that's it. That's what they're trying to do. They're vying for that federal money rather than being the institutions of higher education that they should be for students that actually care about it and are serious about it. 
So, yeah, guys, I that that's all I really got for you today. So I appreciate you continuing to join me for this show, Ion 2020. I'll keep on putting together as many great days of content that I can. I was having a hard time finding a lot in the news today just because everything is really focused on this G Summit, G7 Summit that... Uh, that President Donald Trump was at, and I just, you know, I wanted to bring that little article to you guys because I thought it was really interesting, and just keep in mind when you're listening to these candidates, man, just keep it in mind that these people are just promising, promising, promising so that they can pander to you, you know, but there's a hidden cost in that, so uh, keep on coming back every day. You can follow me at ionthempire.com. You could also find me on, on Twitter and on Facebook if you type in I on the Empire. I think you could even look on Mines. And I'll be there as I am on the Empire as well. I don't update that as much because I don't think that there's a lot of people on Minds. Um, but on Facebook, on Twitter, obviously they're there. So I uh, can continue to update there. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is as follows. You go to anchor.fm slash ion2020. And if you go there, you can do a 99 cent, 4.99, or a 9.99 support level. And if you do that, I'll also uh, get you into my private Facebook group. And uh, then if you'd like to, you can go ahead and come back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020.